As we talk about what radical Christianity looks like, our theme for this month was, was intended to be shocking beliefs. Th- th- those things that as Christians we believe and that we teach and that we stand for, that quite honestly those who are not Christians might be shocked by. Now, I don't know if you've ever been shocked in your life. I was running through uh, times I've been shocked in my life, and there was a long list of being shocked in many ways. But, but the one that just stood out in my mind was when I was about 18 years old. And I had a job the summer after I finished high school, before I went to college, and, and I worked on a road crew. And our job was, was to clear right away for a gas pipeline, and we'd find ourselves out in the middle of fields and clearing fence rows and ditch banks and, and thing, things like that. And, and I remember we were, we were in northeast Arkansas, uh, out in, in the middle of, of a bunch of fields, and I was cleaning out a, a fence row and trying to get it nice and neat so that you could tell where the gas line was running there. And, and I was going about my business, and, you know, I had my earplugs in, had my hard hat on, and, and I was just getting it done. And all of a sudden, one of the guys that I worked with took a pole and hit me as hard as he possibly could. I, I was laid out on the ground. At least that's what I thought happened. When, when, when I stood up and I started to look around, the guy who I thought hit me was, well, he was a ways over there. There's no way he was the one who had hit me. And what I figured out after a little while is that I had gotten into the electric fence. And, and I, I've gotten into electric fences before, and they're of all different varieties. But, but this one, I mean, it knocked me down. And when, when we finally got up to, to the house and, and we told the, the, the owner you know, of, of this property what had happened, I, I will never forget that they just kind of looked at us and said, oh, yeah, I mean, we, I'm, I'm going to do my best Northeast Arkansas impersonation here, right? Sorry if you're from Northeast Arkansas, but that old horse, it kept getting out, so we just turned that thing up all the way. <laughs> yeah, they did, right? I mean, that's what happens when we get shocked. We're not expecting to get shocked, but all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And, and sometimes because we're not ready for it, it can, it can make us take a few steps back. Well, it's no different when we come to God and when we come to God's Word. There are some shocking things in the Bible. There are some shocking things that are taught in the Bible. There are some shocking things that as Christians we ought to be teaching and even living by. Those of you who have been uh, reading along this week, remember one of our goals was to read through the New Testament uh, over, over these next 30 days. Um, your preacher's already at least one day behind, but, but I'm working on it. I'm going to catch up today. That, that's my plan. But, but even if you're just in the book of Matthew where, where I'm at, you've already found a whole lot of stuff that, that, that you might look at and say, that just doesn't feel right. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't come up with that. The Sermon on the Mount, right? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, in what world does that make sense? In, in what part of what man or what woman that's listening here today has, whenever you're slapped on one cheek, think, you know what, I'm going to offer the other one to them. 
I mean, it's just, I don't expect that. I, 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 don't, I don't come up with stuff like that, but you know that it's there. Jesus would go on there in the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you, love your enemies. He doesn't just say, love your grandma. Okay? That, that, that's easy, right? My grandma's watching this morning, so, so that, 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 that's easy, grandma, right? He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We, we come together and we want to go to heaven, and, and Jesus says, okay, this whole thing about going to heaven and being with the Lord, I want you to know, Matthew 7 and verse 14, the gate is small. The way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. I'm just going to tell you, that's not what most people think. Most people think everybody goes to heaven. Most people think even dogs go to heaven, right? Jesus says, I'm just telling you the way to heaven is narrow, and there are very few people that are going to find it. <laughs> Matthew 19 and verse 21, right? Brian preached it to us a little while ago. Let me, let me preach it, Brian. Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. I'm just saying, if you want some hands to go up, you start reading Matthew 19 and verse 20, because it's like, you want, you want me to do what? What, what? what exactly did you just say? Well, I mean, what is the context of that? And my purpose is not to preach a sermon on those things. I'm just saying, even right there in the book of Matthew, over and over, you're going to come to this, this, like, this, this shocking experience. And for many of you who are tuned in this morning, of course, you've heard all of those things before. I've preached sermons on all of those things before. But can you imagine someone who has never read the New Testament coming to those things? Can you imagine someone who is not a Christian hearing that for the very first time? Someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn to them the other cheek. See, they're just shocking to us. And we could go on and on. Maybe you could add some to that. They're shocking by design. They're shocking by, by nature, by the very nature of Christianity and godliness as it relates to our own humanity. The, the proverb writer will say, and we see this over and over in the Bible, right? But Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man. This just seems right. I, I remember when I was about... 20 years old, I was sitting in a break room across from a guy, and, and he found out I was a preacher, and he was asking him about something, and he said, he said, well, you know, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, does the Bible say that? Yes, it does say that, but not in the way he was using it. But he was using it in a way that makes sense to us, right? You hit me, I'll hit you. You poke out my eye, I'll poke out your eye. You knock out my tooth, I'll knock out your tooth, right? You cut off, I mean, whatever, right? I mean, that makes sense to us. But what Jesus is saying is, that's a way that leads to death. You're going to have a whole lot of one-eyed fellows running around if that's the case, right? You're going to have a whole lot of people that are just one-upping each other. That's really more the intent to keep that retribution down in the Old Testament. But what, but what Jesus is saying is, there's a better way. There's a way which seems right to a man, but it is a way that leads to death. To understand that if I just do what Wes thinks is right, I got lots of opinions. Everybody here has lots of opinions about what you think and about how you would do things, about almost everything in life, right? I'm speaking to everybody who's listening, but there's truth that 
There are some things that I very legitimately might think are just fine as I see them that, that God says, but your way leads to death, Wes. I mean, the, the, this is one of those verses that just kind of like almost haunts me in the back of my mind when I'm trying to know what is right and what is appropriate. I, I know that I might not have any problem with it, but what does God say? Because many times God has things to say that are not what I have to say. And I'm going to tell you when that happens, the problem is, well, it's with me and it's not with God. See, the truth is that within every man there is this war that is going on. This war between the flesh and godliness. Between what man thinks or what man wants or how man feels and what God says. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I'm just telling you that if you, if you walk by the Spirit, if, if you are someone who is, is to be led by the, by the Spirit of God, by, 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 the, by the revelation of God's Spirit, then there are certain things that your flesh says, that looks good, that you're not going to do. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That's what Paul's saying about all mankind. But, but that's also what Paul says about himself, right? Romans chapter 7, he says, For that which I'm doing, that which I am doing, I, the apostle Paul, Remember that, that idea, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's a way that leads to death? Th that's not just something we say about those people. Paul says, that's something I say about myself. I can tell you the greatest obstacle to my walk of faith, well, well it's me. It's me. I, I, I've met the problem, and I am he, right? I mean, we, I, and when I come to understand that, that's, that's what even Paul was saying. So, even the most righteous man, even the, the most highly trained conscience, which your conscience can and should be trained. I admit all of that. But even if it's been trained really well, you still have flesh. That which I'm doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, and I'm doing the very thing that I hate. I think that verse right there by itself gives as much comfort as almost anything in the Bible when it comes to this conflict because for me, it says, oh, it's not just me. And, and he's not trying to justify his sin. As a matter of fact, the, the exact opposite. He's, he's crying out against his sin. But that's the struggle. That's the war that he's involved in. I'm not just some crazy person when I struggle. I'm normal when I struggle. And if I try to say that I'm not struggling at all, well, then I'm just a liar. That, that, that's what John would say. So the answer, he says, this is the end of the chapter, you read these on your own, we're going quickly. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? I mean, I'm just the problem. The answer? Well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so what he says is, oh, I see the answer, and the answer is not me. It's not in me just gritting my teeth a little bit harder and being more determined. I've tried that. The answer the answer is Christ Jesus. We, the only way out of this war, the only way to have victory in this war, is His leading. 
We already saw that a little bit in Romans, in Romans 7, but maybe a more familiar passage to us, like the 23rd Psalm, that we know, but, but to think about what he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. It's this idea that I need someone to show me the way. I need someone to take me by the hand. We have all done things that, that maybe even they're things that come very naturally to us today, but the first time that, that we did those things, what do we need? We needed someone to show us the way. Well, the first time that you drove a car, you, you weren't born knowing how to drive a car. I don't care who you are. Somebody had to show you how to drive a car, right? The first time that you balanced a ledger or that you, you know, that, 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 that you did whatever, someone helped you. When it comes to righteousness and overcoming the problem that is the flesh, God says, I am here to lead you, to guide you into paths of righteousness because these things don't come naturally. And so God begins to guide us, to lead us. And when He does that, what He's going to do is He's going to show us some things that we don't expect. He's going to show us some things and lead us to some places that we're going to be surprised by. We're going to be shocked by. And quite honestly, if there aren't things that are shocking us, if there aren't things that are, that are pushing against our flesh, then, then we might want to ask this question, Am I really listening to the voice of God? If I, if I think that, well, God disagrees with me on everything, well, then I either I don't have a very clear view of who I am or I don't have a very clear view of who God is. There's some room for being shocked and being willing to, to, to say this. Listen, this is the Word of God. This is the will of God. I... I would not, could not come up with this. I'm just going to tell you that there are some things that I can read from the Scriptures that I would never have the nerve to get up and to say publicly if it were not reading from the Word of God. But because it's the Word of God, all of a sudden it's not about me. It's about one who is greater than I am. It's about one who is greater than you are. And so what we're trying to do throughout our lessons throughout our lessons this month is to look at some of those things that are, they're just shocking beliefs. We're going to talk about that narrow way. We're going to talk about grace. We're going to talk about the existence of hell. I'm just going to tell you that there are, in all three of those things, some, some ideas and some beliefs that well, the world just is not expecting, used to, comfortable with, they would be shocked by. But nevertheless, they are there within the pages of God's Word. This morning, I want us, I want us to look at one just very quickly. And, and that's, that's the teaching of Jesus on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Right, I mean, maybe you probably weren't expecting me to talk about this, but I wanted to pick this one out mainly because of the response. Because the response that Jesus gets to this teaching is incredibly powerful. 
Now, now marriage is a very old institution, right? And people have been getting married. People have been getting divorced, separating. People have been getting remarried for almost the entire history of mankind. But, but to understand that, that early on in the history of the church, marriage becomes this thing that actually draws people to the church. Because Christian marriage is different than pagan marriage. Christian marriage is a place that's, well, it's a safe place. Matter of fact, in, in the early church, we understand places like Ephesians chapter 5 that tell us that Christians, Christians believe that their marriages actually were to be a picture or to be a portrait of Christ and His church. And so, when we live in this world where, where this man is going to this woman, this woman, this woman, or this woman is going to this man, this man, this man, and we're in and out, in and out of marriage and, and things, things of this nature, all of a sudden the world is looking at these people and saying, yeah, but that man is committed to his wife. That, that woman is committed to her husband. What, what's the difference? Now, if I ask any one of us, what, what do we want? Fellas, do we want our wives to be committed to us? I mean, you can't see it, but they're all shaking their head. Ladies, you're at home watching. They're shaking their heads, right? That's what they expect. And, and, and they can't see it, but I know you're at home. You're shaking your head, too, because you expect them to be committed to you. One woman, man. One man, woman. I mean, that, that's what we want. That's not what everybody has. And so, so especially in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place or in a context where women were incredibly vulnerable, or a man could just say, well, I'm done with you. I'm moving on to the next one, right? I'm trading that, I, I'm trading that 60 in for, for 230s. I mean, people joke about stuff like that, but, but people try to do stuff like that, right? That, that's not new. Well, people were attracted to that. They, they were attracted to the, the oneness of marriage. But, but you know, as... Sometimes blessings become curses, and as marriage became, or as Christianity became more of a uh, an official religion or a state religion, people, more people started to get married, and and when more people started to get married, this thing that used to be accepted that this was one man and one woman for life, people started looking for loopholes. It's, it's, that's not too different than today, is it? As marriage is being degraded. I mean, wh- wh- sometimes we talk about how divorce rates are going down in our, in our society, and there's some truth to that, but one of the reasons that divorce rates are going down is because people just aren't getting married, right? They're just living together, and if, I don't, if it doesn't work out, I'll just move on to the next one. I mean, that, that, that's what culture is doing, and, and all of our young people understand that. All of our older people are a little bit shocked at it, but, but that's, the, that's the reality of it. So how do we face those things? that aren't new to us, we face them with the teachings of Jesus. Can, can I tell you what, why marriage is in such bad shape in our culture? I mean, we, we talk about this a lot, right? And we can talk about Hollywood. We can talk about the government, Washington, D.C., right? We can talk about liberalism. We can talk about all of these things. And, and there's truth in all of those things. I'm just going to tell you that one of the main reasons that marriage has fallen into such a state of disrepair in our, in our culture is because churches, churches gave up a long time ago 
preaching and teaching and standing for what Jesus said. That's what's happened. And we don't have time this morning to, to investigate that, but you know that that's, that's what's happened. They stopped talking about it. They stopped preaching on it. Why? Because you, you, you know what verse, what, what verse 9 says here in Matthew, 9, Matthew 19. I mean, these things are very, in some ways, impractical and shocking. You, you don't really teach that, do you? You don't really preach on those things, do you? Well, what did Jesus say? Well, let's start at the end. The, I told you, it's the whole reason that I picked out this text. Be, not just because of what Jesus teaches. That's, kind of a, that's just a bonus that, 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 that you're getting in this lesson. I, I'm wanting you to see how people respond to what Jesus teaches. So Jesus finishes teaching on marriage and asking questions about marriage. We had a whole month about family and had lesson after lesson on marriage, had a little seminar and a, and a, and a, and a, a Saturday where we just talked about marriage. And when Jesus got done, here's the response. Verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it would be better to not marry. Now, now can I tell you, when we finished our Friday and Saturday marriage seminar, that was not the response that I was hoping to get. But that's the response that Jesus got. They heard what he said, they heard his words, and they, they were shocked. Like that, that is not where I thought you were going. That is not, I mean, I didn't come here for that. I, ain't, I came here for you to do this or for you to do that. And listen, if that's the case, are you kidding me? Maybe we shouldn't even get married. That's the response that Jesus got. These people were openly shocked at the answer that Jesus gave to them. Probably no less shocked than people are today when we read Matthew chapter 19, right? I mean, even I, I can, I mean, we have five people in this room and I can, I can feel like a little bit of the level of discomfort, like, oh, he, did he really go there, right? Is that really what we're, I mean, I know that, that, that that's what comes with the text, right? And, and we're talking about righteous people that are here. Think about ungodly people, people who've never read the, the, the New Testament. This is what you're telling me? I mean, I must have misunderstood what it is that you're saying here, Jesus. Finish up the sermon and go to the back of the building, and somebody says, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I heard this, but I know that's not what you were saying. I've had plenty of those conversations, right? And sometimes, sometimes people have said, I heard this. I'm like, whoa, that is not what I was trying to say, right? You, you misheard that, or I misspoke that, or something. And so that's kind of what they're saying to Jesus is, I mean, this, this can't be what you're saying. <laughs> and Jesus, no, that's what I was saying. That's what I was trying to get at. As a matter of fact, he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but, there, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. I mean, Jesus is going to launch off into a whole section about talking about people being eunuchs. Right? I mean, he's serious here. There were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom, for the king, for for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Let me paraphrase what Jesus just said when the people came and they said, Well, you didn't mean what I thought you mean. You didn't mean that, did you? I mean, I must have misheard that. Jesus essentially looks at these people in the eye and he says, 
Yeah. Some people can handle the truth. Some people can't handle the truth. <laughs> I mean, that's shocking. I even know he was going to say it. I'm just telling you, that's shocking. But what Jesus was trying to help them to see is, this isn't about me. This isn't about you. This is about God. Well, what did he say? Well, you know what he said. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. This is that shocking teaching or that shocking belief. I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, right? You remember the people are coming and they're asking questions about marriage. I mean, okay, so how, how can I get out of my marriage and still be right with God? I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations. I've had far too many of those conversations, right? Where people are still saying, I want to be right with God. I want to come to Jesus, but, but I'm done with her or I'm done with him. Th- those conversations almost, almost never go well. And that's what they're, they're coming to Jesus. They're asking these questions. And, and Jesus just says, well, well, you know, God created marriage and he took two people and he made them into one. And that's how he intends for it to stay. Yeah, 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 but okay, but, but what about the certificate of divorce, right? I, I don't want to hear about that oneness stuff coming from God. Uh, what about the certificate of divorce that, 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 that Moses allowed us to have? And, and Jesus just says, well, you know, I know, I know that too. I've, I've read my Bible, but that was just because of the hardness of your hearts. So here's my answer. I say to you, I know what Moses said, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, okay, let's break that down. Whoever divorces his wife, we, we know that happens sometimes, it happened then, it happens now, and marries another, divorce and then remarriage, divorce, divorces his wife and then marries another, commits adultery. But Jesus, you don't, I mean, they're divorced, right? I mean, they didn't just go out there and get remarried. They got divorced, and then they got remarried. That's not adultery. That's how our world sees that, right? That's that's not new. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm telling you that that's not the way this works. I'm telling you whoever divorces their wife and remarries, unless, unless it was for the sake of sexual immorality, Pornia is the word that is used there, right? Unless it is for the sake of pornea, fornication, sexual immorality, and they go out and they get married again, you may call that a marriage, but God says that's adultery. Now, now this is this is this is hard, right? And my whole point, I hope you know, is to not give an exegesis of Matthew 19. We have done that before, we can do that in the future. I'm just trying to show you that, that we, have a, we have a text here that people then and people today look at and say, whoa, really? Is that really what God says? Is that really what God says? I'm just telling you, when anybody talks about Matthew 19, 9, if whatever they do in interpreting Matthew 19 and 9 doesn't make you stand back and say, then maybe we ought to think about just not getting married. Like, if you have any other response to it than that, then you missed what Jesus was trying to say. Because they even gave him the opportunity to backtrack, take it back, go the other way, clarify. Jesus says, no, that's, that, that's it. So, once again, there are people, there are preachers, there are congregations who will help you misunderstand what Jesus is trying to say. 
But whatever interpretation, if you don't come away saying, you know what, we might even think about not getting married, then you don't understand what Jesus is saying. It's a shocking belief. It's one of these things that, I mean, we, 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 we have to process in our mind. We have to think through the implications. It ought to cause us to place a much higher value on marriage. It ought to cause us to work harder at our marriages and the preservation of our marriages. It ought to cause us to think about the importance of choosing a godly husband or a godly wife. It ought to change the whole dynamic of how the church stands as a light in a world of darkness. But whenever we aren't shocked by His words, then our lives aren't shocking to a world because we look just like everybody else. We're fighting and feuding and yelling and screaming and, and, and cheating and adultering and, and I made up a word there, and divorcing just like everybody else. What's well, because we stop being shocked and being changed and being led by God's word. This concept that we will, that we will make our way through throughout this month, and we start off here in Matthew 19, there are lots of things like that in the Word of God. The purpose is not just to shock us, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not a shock jock. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, you know, just trying to get clicks. I'm not trying to, to, to say things that are just going to get people riled up. That, that's not the purpose of these things. That would be wrong and sinful. The purpose is to make us into the image of God rather than into our own image. I'm pretty good at making myself into my own image. That's a way that leads to death. I don't need to look like myself. You don't need to look like me. You can thank me for that later. We need to look like God. And the only way to do that is to turn to Him and the things that He reveals to us about morality, about His kingdom, about His church, about His grace, about His eternity. He's going to show us some things that may be shocking to us. But it is those shocking things that will change everything.